0: No choice is set in stone. I can change my mind. I can make a different decision. Mm -hmm. And I feel like remembering that is really, really, really important because so many people, they're like, if I make this choice, I'm locked into this thing. And now if it's a mistake, you know, there's no redirection. And I'm like, no, as long as you wake up, you know, you have an option to choose different and so like kind of remembering that as we're moving through our relationship spaces is you know how you feel today may not be how you feel two days from now or three days from now or two weeks from now or two years from now and when you change your mind or when you decide something doesn't work for you you can make a different choice
1: welcome to the multi-amory podcast i'm jace
0: i'm emily
2: and i'm Dedeker. we believe in looking to the future of relationships not maintaining the status quo of the past Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
1: In this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking to Evita Sawyers about her new book, A Polyamory Devotional, 365 Daily Reflections for the Consensually Non-Monogamous. *La Vita Loca Sawyers is a non-monogamy coach, speaker, and educator, creator of today's Polyamory Reminder, and her approach is both frank yet empathetic. And she's appreciated for her vulnerable openness about her own challenges in non-monogamy and helping others to grow on their own journeys. If you're interested in learning about our fundamental communication tools that we reference on this show a lot, you can check out our book, Multi-Amory Essential Tools for Modern Relationships. You can put those two next to each other on the shelf. Our book covers some of our most commonly used and shared relationship communication tools for all types of relationships. You can find links to buy it at multiamory.com slash book or wherever fine books are sold. And at the end of the episode and in our show notes, we will have links to buy Evita's book as well. So Evita Sawyers, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: I am so excited to be here. Y'all have no idea. I was looking forward to this conversation. I love talking to (laughs) y'all. Thank you for having me. Amazing, because the
2: last time you were on the show, it was our episode 310. And that was back in 2020, which is incredible kind of thinking like how far we've all come since then, how much has happened, just the changes in our world, all of that. And I remember reading in your book as well. And I didn't even realize this, that you started Daily Polyamory Reminders around the pandemic. So it kind of came out of that. Am I correct in that?
0: Yes, that's true. We were all stuck in the house with nothing to do, And I gave myself a challenge to see if I could come up with something every day because I had the time. and so, yeah, and so it started in in the uh, pandemic in twenty twenty around like March wow,
2: yeah, okay. So like right when the pandemic was starting, that's very cool. And then also, when we had you on the show last time, it was just sort of the beginnings of your separation and moving into your divorce. And I was just curious how things were going with that. Can you give us any updates? How are you doing? Absolutely.
0: So, uh we are officially divorced as of May of this year if I'm not mistaken. We got our, our I got my divorce papers in the mail, which was super surreal because even though I had like known that I was going through the process and it wasn't surprising, there was something about the finality of it that was still impactful. But uh I have since moved across the country. No. So, when I was on the show, I was living in San Diego at the time um and I made the decision to move back to New Jersey, which is originally where I'm from. To reorient myself, I moved in with my mom, and so my, uh, I I have to stop saying my husband, my (laughs) ex-husband and the children, they stayed in California, and uh, I moved over to New Jersey, and so this cross-country move from my kids, you know, from the home that I'd lived in for 21 years, kind of coming back home to, you know, where I grew up, which I hadn't lived in since I was like 17, and then now creating a new life uh, as an adult, being single when I've literally never been single my adult life I met my husband when I was 21 if I'm not mistaken and we got married yeah I was 21 turning 22 I had like a brief period of like singleness as an adult but I was in the military I met him right after I got out we got married and you know so I've been married for most of my adult life so like now I'm navigating being single and polyamorous which is interesting it's a different experience it's a much different experience but fortunately I will say um, the children are doing well. They've come over to visit. I go over there to visit them. Uh, and my uh, former spouse and I get along very well. You know, it hasn't been bitter or acrimonious. I actually was just talking to him because I was like, "Do you want a copy of the book?" And he was like, "Oh, I don't know," but he said, "Yeah." So I'll be sending him an autographed <laughs> copy of the book. <laughs> yeah. Question took him off guard, uh, but he said, "Yeah, he wants a copy." So I mean, right. you know, as as things as far as things go, you know, I I, I really have no complaint. That's excellent.
2: Awesome. Wow.
1: And so during all of that move and everything is when you were writing this book and going through the publishing process for that. I mean, how's that been managing all that? We just published our book earlier this year, and it was so much more work after the actual writing than Mm -hmm. I expected, at least. I think Dedeker was the only one who kind of knew what to expect. And unfortunately, she's not with us today because she's out sick with a cold. But how was that for you? Was that what was that experience of the publishing process like?
0: so i wasn't prepared for i guess how long it actually took so it is a long process and a friend of mine told me that because she works in publishing so she said it's kind of like having a baby you know for a long process a long gestation period (laughs) and i thought it would be easy because you know they were all posts that i had had written not all of them some of them were brand new but i thought it would be easy to just kind of compile them together because i hadn't been doing it for such a long time and i was fortunate enough that both bulk of the compiling and the writing, because I when I got to the end of the book, I still had about 40 reminders that I actually had to generate and write oh, because wow. I didn't have a full 365. Yeah, I did not have a full 365 mm. when I went and kind of pulled them all through. because I'd been doing it for a while. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I, I should have 365. I didn't. Then there were some that I was like, yeah, this one kind of sounds like the other one, so I'm going to take that away. And so I had about 40 that I had to just write, mm. you know, kind of off the cuff, which that was challenging. And then the ones that I had written I had to reformat because I had a word count. I had a word count for the reminder and then I had a word count for the little blurb underneath it. And so some of them had to be, you know, edited and adjusted and so uh, that was interesting. So going to Ecuador was kind of like a writer's retreat. That's mostly what I did that entire time. And so I'm grateful to my friends for opening up that space, but yeah, but it was, it was, it was a journey. It was a process. And I, I kept telling myself cause I'm notorious for starting things and not finishing it. And I'm like, video, you're gonna do this, like, you're gonna finish this, you're gonna finish this, see the thing through to the end, and thankfully I did.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was so impressed with all of the additional information that you put underneath each specific prompt, and that you also had kind of a homework assignment or at least something for people to think about Mm -hmm. in addition, which is really cool. How was that process of sort of expanding what you had been writing since the pandemic out into like a fully fleshed book that also includes sort of thought prompts for the reader and things like that i mean so much of it is also include includes your personal story in the midst of every single thing that you're putting in there so can you talk a little bit about all of that and and sort of fleshing out what became the book from just the daily reminders that you do every single day
0: Yeah, so I wanted it to be more... So I tell people all the time, when people ask me, what do you want people to get from the book? And my main thing is I want people to find themselves. So I don't want this to just be me, like, Mm -hmm. sort of writing this, like, you know, manifesto to create this army of people, you know, who think and and feel like me. I really wanted people to be reminded as they're reading this, that this is not me telling you what to think and feel. This is me presenting an idea to you. And then you do the self-reflection so that you can find out where you land on this thing. Some of the stuff you read, you may agree with. Some of the stuff you read, you may not. And I hope you do find things that you don't agree with, because that's the point. The point is for you to find out what your answers are and then not just parrot mine. And so because of that, I wanted to have a space where people didn't just read it, but people actually sat in with themselves and thought what do I think about this? How do I feel about this? When I ask myself this question, what comes up for me? Because that to me is most important. I feel like so much of our movements through relationships is wanting someone to tell us what to think or wanting someone to tell us what to do or having, you know, voices that are telling us what to think and feel. And one of the first things that that I really be, like drove home as I really dive deep into non is like, BD, you got to start coming up with your own answers for this stuff, you <laughs> know, because he's pre-programmed mm-hmm. and preconditioned ideas that you have, they ain't working, you know, so you got to come up with what your own answers are. And so I wanted to have something at the end for people to, like I said, kind of dig into themselves and go, where do I stand on this? Or how do I feel about this? And it was a little challenging because you have to write open-ended questions. So you can't write things where people can just say yes or no, you know, so trying to find out, you know, what the open-ended question was about, you know, the thing so that I could present it to people, and then, like I said, going through and kind of trimming some of the bad. It's like, okay, but you don't have to say it. So I'm a very verbose person. If you didn't know, mm-hmm. you know so it's up loquacious. And so some of it was going, okay, <laughs> you know, we don't have to say that. You know, you can trim that down. You already said that. And then some of it was hard because like, I was like, but I don't want to cut this. You know, this, I feel like this is important. So there were some moments where that was challenging mm-hmm. too, because I'm like, but I really want this to be included. And sometimes that created an opportunity for me to go, okay, I can't talk about this here because I don't have the space. But maybe I can pull this out and actually create a separate polyamory Mm -hmm. reminder just about this thing that I wanted to include here, you know, um, that that just didn't have the room for. So um, because I think people don't really appreciate how challenging it is to to say all of these really, really, really nuanced things in this tiny character count and try to make sure that you're saying the right thing. So even, you know, one reminder, I could probably pull, you know... Three or four different things out of it and create something separate about it, and so, um, so that was kind of you know navigating, um, like I said, what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it, you know, making sure that it was reflective of what I wanted to communicate, but then also fit the format, and then also create provided an opportunity for people, like I said, to examine themselves, which is really the main driver for why I wanted to do this. Is I kind of want people to go, hey, sit with yourself and ask yourself, what are my questions or what are my answers? Because when we have more surety. And our inner voice, when we know what our answers are for ourselves, that creates a lot of security in our movement through relationships when we're not kind of going, well, I don't know how I think and feel about this. And so that was really what was most important for me is is telling people, hey, like, you know, I want you to find yourself in these pages, not find me. Yeah, I think
1: that it's such a nice thing, too, for people starting out or people who have been doing this for a while, because it gives you these prompts to think about some of these questions and where your values are before you're in a situation where you've got to make that decision right now and it actually affects somebody else. It's like a lot of times we just don't even realize what sorts of things we haven't thought about yet because it's so new and we don't have all these kind of built in cultural values around what's normal, what's right, whatever. I think, honestly, that can be an advantage, too. Because sometimes, even in monogamy, that cultural baggage that we come in with we think gives us all the answers. And maybe it's because we didn't really mm-hmm. think it through. Kind of like you were saying that developing your own thoughts and your own voice and your own feelings about these things is so important. But I think this is this is a great way to explore those. And you have it listed out, so there's one for each day for 365 days. Although I also think this would be really great to just kind of flip to a random page now and again and just come oh, back sure. to it or bookmark them, stuff like that.
0: Right. I, I like it because I feel like it's kind of a choose your own adventure. So you could, mm-hmm. you know, flip it open and say, Universe, speak to me, you know, and just open it to a page that day. You can read it once a day. You can take one. And, um, you know, read it for a week and sit with it. So I kind of like that, that the format is that you can kind of move in and out of it how you want to. And that was also important for me as well. I feel like a lot of times people don't have the time to sit and read a book from start to finish, even though I appreciate books in, in that way. And even I, sometimes I'm just like, I just don't have time to read. And I like that this kind of allows people to go, okay, I may put this down for a couple of weeks and then I can just go back to it and pick it up and, you know, find something that speaks to me. And that works. I like the format for that. And then, yeah, you're right. Like often you don't know what a situation is going to pop. It's like so many situations that happen in non-monogamy are so foreign. Like if you told me when I was walking down the aisle with my husband on the day that we got married that, you know, fast forward (laughs) 15, 16 years, that I'm going to be in bed with him and his girlfriend and we're going to sleep at night, you know what I mean? Like, I would have been like, what, you know? Um, (laughs) But there I was, you know? And so, (laughs) and I would tell my, my partner often, when I was going through different things, different challenges in non-monogamy and sometimes exhibiting behaviors that like I didn't even know that I was capable of because I was so activated and him being like, who is this person? I'm like, I don't know who it is either. Like you and me are both figuring out who this new person is, but it's because a lot of scenarios that come up in non-monogamy, they bring out sides of ourselves that we didn't know existed or we hadn't had an opportunity to be in a situation that activated that. And so I do like that it gives people an opportunity to maybe have a little bit of like foresight It's oh, I didn't even think about that as a scenario, or let me think about how I would respond in that moment. So that way you're kind of not going in with no game plan. You've already kind of thought about it a little bit beforehand and thought about maybe like what your integrity is or how you would like to have shown up. And so I I like that option too, because if I would have had an opportunity to get some examples... Of like, these are some things that could happen to you, or these are some experiences that you might have in the situation. I might have had a chance to, like, you know, kind of think about these things so I wasn't shooting from the cuff, because in the beginning, my shooting from the cuff was nothing nice. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a lot of people's experiences, for sure. <laughs> so before
1: we get into going through some of these particular ones and, and talking about the ones that we really enjoyed and maybe picking out some of your favorites, I I did just want to ask why you decided to use the word devotional for describing this, you know, like as as someone who grew up Christian, it's like, oh yeah, that's, you know, you got your, your prayers for each day or different verses you're going to read or whatever. And so I get that, but I was just curious for you, did you have any debate about, do I call it that or not? Is that going to put off some people that maybe don't like that it might be a religious thing or, or anything like that?
0: So I'm actually glad you brought this up because really, uh, I, you know, the choice to call it a devotional was more about just not having any other language, you know, and that, that was the format that mm-hmm. I had seen that kind of bookend, you know, is a, it's called a devotional. I think I've only ever seen like one other book that wasn't called that, called The Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo, and it's the same way, you know, Daily prompts. But most of the time when I see books like that, they're called devotionals, so that's what I called it. But I will say that two things. Number one, polyamory for me, is a very deeply spiritual practice. And so it's highly, heavily tied with, with my spiritual development and my spiritual growth and my movement through my spirituality is very heavily tied to my polyamory. And so in that regard, there's a, there's a connection, but then also to me, when I think about the term devotional, it also brings up the term intentional. So as I'm taking intentional time, I'm devoting intentional Mm -hmm. time to sit and to think and to reflect on my polyamorous experience, my polyamorous identity, my polyamorous personality. And I find that when I am intentional about those things, I have a better experience. Like I said, that when I'm just kind of, you know, like kind of just traipsing through it, letting stuff happen to me. But when I'm intentional about like, hey, like what do I want to say about who I am in polyamory? What do I want to say about the kind of partner that I am? What do I want to say about the kind of experience that, that I want to have? And um, honestly, all relationship structures could benefit from that level of intentionality, because that level of intentionality doesn't even happen in monogamy, which is why we have a lot of the problems in monogamy that we do, is because we just assume that, you know, these scripts that were written for us about how it should function is just what we should be doing, and we don't bring a level of intentionality and devotion to, like, hey, I'm really going to sit and sit with myself and think about, like, what do I want to be able to say about how I move and how I function and what my relationship space looks like. And so while it wasn't well thought out to use the term devotional, it was more just like I didn't have, you know, for lack of a better term, but also now it has a deeper meaning for me in the sense that, you know, it's connected to polyamory as a spiritual practice for me. And then also my own integrity about how do I be intentional about this thing that I'm doing so that I am showing up well to myself. I
2: think that's so incredible just the the devotion to the practice of polyamory as well as the practice of bettering oneself within whatever relationship structure you're in. I totally agree with you. Just the opportunity to be able to sit with yourself on a daily or a weekly or whatever basis it is and actually, you know, ask yourself these questions that that you give throughout the book. And be able to reflect and understand that you can go back maybe a year later or even a couple months later to that same prompt. And it may be different for you than it was in that moment that you first read it. I, I love that idea. And... In my endorsement for the book that I gave you, I I ended up marking a bunch of prompts and I said that I could go back to those whenever I kind of needed them in my relationship or just in my daily life. And one of them was day 23, which I'm going to read it. It's showing up to love and relationships fully can be scary when you have been hurt in the past. Remind yourself that you are interacting with different people than the ones who hurt you in the past, and that you are a different person now. Move in courage. So I just love that one. And I think so many of us really tend to hold on to these grudges And especially in non-monogamy, there's going to be so many ups and downs. And you talk in a, a much later prompt about how often if you've been with a person for a long period of time, you may have gone through really tumultuous things with them and you show up as a more evolved person, for lack of a better word, in some of your newer relationships. And that can be really hard for your existing relationship because that new relationship didn't have to go through the bullshit that you may have put that existing relationship through. And just i'm i'm curious to hear your thoughts on all of that and how to move
0: past old hurts when it's really difficult to yeah i love this because my later work uh in relationships recently especially coming from a divorce that was so painful because i didn't want it i wanted us to stay together while my husband was a good husband and, and you know i'd have nothing to m- lament about him as a partner you know but that relationship reached its shelf like It came to an end and it was deeply deeply painful for me And so I was like, what does love and relationships look like for me moving forward when I'm nursing this really, really intense wound? And I was noticing that it was showing up in a lot of fear in my newer connections, and that just didn't sit well with me. So I was like, you know what, life is short. And I want to be bold and courageous in love. And so how do I do that? And so part of that is kind of reminding myself that number one, be this person that I'm interacting with is not the same person that may have hurt me in the past, uh, which isn't always the case, because sometimes you're in the same relationship and a person hurt you in the past and now you're dealing with again, but there's still a new person in that they're not the person that they were back then. So each situation that you're entering in is new. When you When you remember to stay present, each situation is new. And then you are also new. You're a different person. And I find that um, I read a quote once in some meme somewhere that it said, when I struggle to trust others who I struggle to trust is myself. And it was something Mm -hmm. that I really, really, really laid hold to is when I feel myself struggling to trust someone else, actually the person I'm struggling to trust is myself. I'm struggling to trust in my ability to discern when something isn't working for me. I'm trusting. I distrust my ability to discern when a person doesn't work for me. I distrust in my ability to speak up, to ask for what I need, to, you know, take my agency in the, in the relationship. And I also struggle to trust in my ability to heal if it turns out in a way that causes me pain. And Mm -hmm. so when I, when I remember that, I'm going, okay, who is it that I'm struggling to trust right now? Who is it that, that I'm afraid of? Is it I'm afraid of what is going on with this person? Am I afraid of my, my response to it? And so like, my recent work in relationships now has been going how do i i don't want to say completely let go of fear because i think that if people are looking for that it's like okay well i want to get rid of fear but fear is useful you know fear is what tells us don't put your hand on the stove because you're going to get hurt mm-hmm. yeah so exactly. fear is useful it is a useful emotion and it is one to pay attention to but i don't want it to be the governing body you know, that governs how I move through my relationships. I don't want it to be in the driver's seat. It could be in the passenger seat. It could be in the back seat. But I don't want fear to be in the driver's seat of my relationships. I want to be the one that is driving my relationships. And I don't want fear to be a driver. And so that was why that was so important for me, because it was a personal. I was personally doing that work myself to sort of like go, where can I let go of fear? Where can I show up to my relationships boldly? And in polyamory specifically, because it is so niche i guess you know it's getting more popular now but there's so many opportunities for for fear in such a way that you don't really have as much in monogamy just because monogamy is normalized so it's like okay you see your relationship can in and those things are scary but you know people get back on their feet they get a new relationship but non monogamy just opens up a lot more areas i feel like for fear to come in because it's so new and um and it's not anything that we you know see. And so to me, in that space, there should be even more of a like a, hey, like, how do I not let fear be the driving force for, you know, how I operate in these relationships? And then as far as the other reminder that you were talking about with like older relationships, kind of remembering that you're both having that same experience of each other. That was a big theme in my uh, relationship with my spouse at the time is the newer people were getting a, you know, a more mature, like an older version of of him that had more wisdom and i didn't really stop and think and also my partners were getting the same thing <laughs> you No, know, mm-hmm. so it was just about i was just kind of looking at him going well you're giving this person all these things that i didn't get and i didn't really look at myself and go i was you know he was having that same experience with me of like watching me being more mature um, in my relationships to other people. And ultimately, you know, if you really stop and think about it, you, do you want to have a partner that's like running around doing funky stuff to people? Like, no. What? no. So, <laughs> so that's another thing I had to think of too. Like if they were doing things to people that the same, some of the same stuff that they were doing to me when they were younger didn't know any better, like that wouldn't be a good thing either because I don't want my partners running around, you know, treating people poorly or, you know, making mistakes or whatever. Like I, I hope, you know, that they grow. I hope that they evolve. I hope that they bring a better version of themselves, you know, to the newer spaces that they're in and so kind of remembering, you know, that you're human too, and your humanity has been on the stage. It's not just there. And then also, ultimately, what do you want? Do you want, you know, to have a partner that's out here, you know, hurting people's feelings, you know, or do you want to have a partner that's showing up in integrity to others? Yeah,
1: that's awesome. I'm going to keep reading your book to you. So hope you're ready for that. <laughs> so, This one I wanted to talk about here is, this is day 74. Um, and I, I particularly resonate with this one. And that's, having multiple partners is not the sole benefit of practicing non-monogamy. And the more you grasp this concept, the more you'll enjoy the experience. This has been basically the journey of my last three years, especially uh, because I had a relationship that ended right before the pandemic started. And then, you know, wasn't really connecting with people. had like a couple dates that turned into friendships, but haven't really had any other partners since then still. Um, and, it's just been this time of really being like, I'm not any less polyamorous or non-monogamous than I was before. Those are all like still so much part of my identity and my values. And, uh, you know, and my partner Dedeker has had other partners in that time. And it's like, yeah, this is definitely part of my identity, but also I'm loving the fact that I've gotten to explore my friendships and like, how do I prioritize these? And how do I Better get comfortable with myself. And I've actually found that to be kind of like this. This is talking about that surprise benefit of, wow, this just opened me up to being more intentional about all the relationships in my life and not just having multiple romantic or sexual relationships.
0: Yeah, my experience in non-monogamy, you know, when we started with polyamory, we started with the triad that ended about two years in. And then I was dating and, and trying to relate to people. And while if we went pound for pound, you know, dates wise, I definitely had more dates than my partner. But if it was relationships, like people that actually wanted to have something, he fared a lot better. And it was really challenging for me and uh, I struggled. And so I began to go, okay, like I want to be able to enjoy this, but this lack of being able to have partners, number one, made it so that it was challenging to me to enjoy it because that's what I was focusing on. But two, it also made me, or it kind of prompted me to, to make relationship choices. That I probably shouldn't have made just for the sake of having. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: I totally I feel that. Yeah, just yeah. for the
0: sake of having, you know, just saying, okay, well, I just want to have, and so you know, I'm going to take this relationship option that is clearly showing for me that it's not going to work. That there's definitely some some discrepancies here about the things that I want in relationships, but it's something. And so when I began to shift my focus from how many partners I had, or how many dates I went on, or how many you know people I had acquired to like, what was polyamory doing in me? Was I becoming a better person? Was I, like you said, was I being more intentional in all of my relationship spaces? Was I growing? Was I growing in the challenges to show up well to my partners? It's one thing to show up well to your partners when your poly is popping, you got the dates going, your relationships <laughs> are going well, and you're like, yeah, bad, going on that two week vacation. It's a lot easier to do that than when like your partner has this relationship that's going really well or similar relationship that's going really well. And you don't have that. It's a lot, lot Mm -hmm. harder to show up and be supportive. And so I found that in those moments is where I really, really kind of honed in on what my polyamorous integrity was. And so when I shifted my focus from how many partners I had to what I could say about myself as a polyamorous person, how did I feel about myself as a polyamorous person? I actually enjoyed the experience a lot more because I was able to see more benefit to what was happening within myself and in my life as a result of polyamory that had nothing to do with how many partners I had or didn't have.
1: We're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show. If you enjoy this content and want us to be able to keep putting this out there into the world for free, sharing advice and research studies and amazing guests every week out there for the whole world to listen to, the best way you can do that is just take a moment, check out our advertisers. If any seem interesting to you, go check them out. And then of course you can support us directly by going to multiamory.com join and learning about that there.
2: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. I'm really curious because you went through the kind of more traditional route of becoming polyamorous with a spouse and then opening up an existing relationship. And now as somebody who you know, you said at the top of the show, you're single and going into polyamory from there. How do you think that's going to change? Or do you think that it will change the way
0: that you explore non-monogamy now? It does. It has. It really has. And I was not prepared for it. So, and the way I described it is I was a lot more willing to take risks in relationships because I had a staple relationship at home, or what I called a uh, an oatmeal relationship, That's <laughs> what I call it. Oatmeal. <laughs> it provided the nutrients and the nourishment, and sort of that mm-hmm. base, you know, kind of relationship needs. And so I was much more experimental in my dating life because I'm like, well, you know, I got oatmeal at home, and so you know, if, if push comes to shove, and I need cuddling or I need whatever, you know, I have this staple relationship to go to. And now that I don't have that. I'm like, lot more circumspect about the choices that I make in relationships now? Because I'm like, wow. you got one shot, you know, <laughs> <Because> <laughs> if this thing, if this thing ain't working, you know, if this thing isn't giving you what you need, you ass out, you know, because it's not like I have somebody to go back home to anymore. And so it made mm-hmm. me a lot, lot, lot more, more circumspect and a lot more discerning about like what relationship activities and people that I, I engage in because I'm not getting, that I'm not really taking it for granted that, if, you know, worst case scenario, I got a spouse at home this, so if I need loving or whatever, this person is there. Like, no, every choice that I make now, I feel like in regards to relating to people has to be really, really conscious and intentional because if something doesn't go well or, you know, it, it doesn't end up giving me what I need, you know, I'm I'm going to, you know, kind of go without until you know, until something else kind of pops up. And so I'm not, I don't date as much as as I, you would think. I would date more. You know. Exactly. It's counterintuitive
2: almost. It's like the opposite of what you would think, but that's really, really interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't date as much as I used to. I, I'm a lot more circumspect about the people I choose to sleep with, the people I choose to, to engage, because like I said, I don't have that kind of staple relationship at home. And so, you know, when you have a staple relationship, the way I describe it is like, you're like say you have that old man relationship, so I might eat that spicy- you know, meal that's <laughs> going to give me heartburn and I know it's going to jack up my stomach because I'm like, well, you know, uh, I can go back home to my oatmeal and be soothed and satiated. But like Now I'm like, ah, oh, that spicy dish going to stay right on the table. <laughs> yeah, so I, that was shocking for me. That was actually really surprising. I thought that I would just date more and, and be out there and actually know I'm a lot less inclined um, to, to just kind of interact with whomever because of not having, like I said, that sort of like kind of staple sort of home-cooked meal. Uh, in my life.
2: In regards to breaking up, this prompt from day 127, where you say not all breakups come like loud booms, crashing cymbals, or symphonies of chaos. Sometimes they are soft whispers of knowing and releasing. So yeah, wow, that was a lot. And so true. We talk so much on the show about how relationships don't necessarily have to be really shitty in order for them to, to not be right for you. And that it is okay to break up. And in terms of the, the divorce that you had and, you know, moving away from a relationship in the way that you did where you realize, hey, it's kind of run its course. Do you think that's going to sort of affect the way that you look at relationships in general and the trajectory of how they go and maybe leaving relationships in the future if you do? Do you think that that'll change your approach to it?
0: It did, actually. So I I had a a relationship when I moved over here briefly when I first uh, uh, moved over here. And while, um, you know, we loved each other very much, maybe about eight months or so into it, I was like, "Eh, I think I'm going to redirect this relationship to friendship because I don't think that that's trying to have a romantic connection with one another at this time or maybe even at all is viable. And so one of the things that I will say that it taught me is to get out while you can still salvage you know, hmm. uh, something of the relationship that you enjoyed. And so I feel like what happens is cause before I used to be very team, no friends with my ex, or we, is we finished, is we done, is what I used to tell people like Birdman, yeah. you know, but this person didn't fit, neatly fit into that category. I didn't want to be done with that person. I just wanted to kind of be done with what it was that we were doing because I was like, this is not working for me. And so I find that sometimes people hold on too long to relationship and, you know, by the time they finally released, so much damage has been done that there's just nothing in the relationship that was working that is salvageable. And so it made me much more aware to sort of pay attention to go when I need to kind of call it or when I need to shift directions or when I need to adjust something that I'm doing that's not working so that I can still maintain people that I clearly have a connection with and there's clearly a chemistry there and we just might not be good doing this thing that we're actually doing. And that relationship was one of those ones that was was just kind of like a silent knowing of like, you know, Vita, I know you really love this person and they really love you and y'all are trying, but, you know, I, I just don't think that this romantic relationship that y'all are trying to make work is going to work for you. Um, and so I made the choice to shift us to friendship and we've been friends now for the last couple of years and it's a much better space. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a much That's better great. space. And so it has changed my ideas about like how I want to exist in my relationships in such a way so that I'm giving myself the permission to kind of go, you know, we don't have to be doing this thing that we're trying to do. And while that is painful, like if I let go of what my ideas for what I want with this person and just embrace the person, it opens up so much uh, of a space of creativity for what does work for us. That allows me to sort of keep these people in my life that I care about but maybe not necessarily am able to to accomplish the thing that we set out to accomplish.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's really good to share those kinds of stories with people because I think that's so antithetical to the way that we're taught relationships mm-hmm. should go or, or can go. I was just thinking about a relationship of mine from several years ago. I think this was back in maybe twenty. 17, 2018, something like that. But it was one where I started having that feeling of like, I'm I'm not feeling this. I do really like this person. I, I don't want this to get to this situation where I'm just having a bad time. And, you know, we're like having to break up in a more painful way. And this was not easy to do, but I made that decision of, okay, I'm just going to try to be real upfront and and clear about this and just kind of explain you know, I, I like you a lot, I think you're cool, but also like something's just not clicking with me for this and so I wanna change this type of relationship. And I felt bad about that. Like I'd, you know, shoot, I was such an asshole, I should have just like found some way to like this person mm-hmm. more or, or be more attracted to them or whatever it was. And then just earlier this year, I think, they sent me a message just saying, hey, I was chatting with our mutual friend And just wanted to let you know, like, I always look back on our relationship really positively. And like, it was one of the most kind of well-communicated and mature relationships. And I just have like nothing but positive feelings about it. And I'm so happy that you're friends now with this mutual friend. And it was just that like, oh, wow, I'd felt bad about this for years. But actually for them, it was this positive experience. And so I just, I just want to share that because I know it's something that I would not have expected to happen. And I feel like most of us would assume, oh, if you ever do that, they're just going to hate you or not going to want to be friends with you or whatever. And that's not, that's not always the case.
0: Right. That's actually the kindest thing you can do. Like if you were to ask someone, you know, do you want to be with someone who dreads their relationship with you and who doesn't want to be with you? Everybody would say, no, you know, a partner comes to them and says, you know, this isn't really working for me. And I think I need to do something different. We get all up in arms when really that's the kindest thing to do, because ultimately what I want is to be in relationship with someone who is very present in what it is that we're doing. And we're on the same page by this thing that I want to do with you. You also want to do this with me. Cool. So i um, the kindest thing that we can do is when that shifts for us. So when that changes for us, that we be honest about that. And we talk talked about that person. Like even with my, my spouse. And I'm not faulting Mm. him for this in any way because we were married for 16, almost 17 years. We had three children. We had a deeply, deeply intertwined life. That's not something you easily walk away from. And so I'm not judging him for, you know, taking the time that he took. But there was a part of me that when he stated that he didn't want to be together anymore, he didn't have romantic feelings for me anymore. um, There was a part of me that internally screamed, thank you, because I was like, he finally it because I, I wow. knew, you know, and I knew and wow. I knew it, but I kept feeling like, well, I'm just being insecure. You know, he's telling me that he's happy, he wants to be here. You know, I just need to, you know, I need to just trust him or whatever. But I knew deep down, I knew I was like, this dude is just not, he just does mm. not want to be here. And I, I'm pretty sure that that happened for a lot longer. If I were to go back to him and ask him, like, when did that, when did you really know that, you know, you had kind of checked out of, of the romance piece? Of our relationship it probably was a lot longer from when he actually declared it because of that space i don't want to hurt this person i don't want to disappoint them some of it is okay maybe i can free, I and get it back but once you're kind of pretty clear you know that that's not what's happening the kindest thing you can do with a person is just to let them know and and, and you know i feel like a lot of times when people move through relationships and they trade a momentary discomfort for a much bigger mess down the line Yeah, absolutely.
2: That happens so often. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I wanted to sort of end things off with some questions from our listeners. They were really excited that you were coming back on the show. And they had a couple things that they wanted to ask. So one of the questions is... How do you navigate the murkiness of having to talk about your own relationships in your book when your words could affect people you've been in relationships with? How in particular do you navigate this when you've got to be accountable for times when you may have hurt others, where writing about this publicly might be tricky? And what do you do when other people's experiences don't quite line
0: up with what you've written about? Wow, that's a really great question. So most of the people that I've talked about, most of the person I've talked about the most is my former spouse. Yeah. Because that's who I have the most relationship experience with. And at this point, he kind of knows who I am. So, you know, we had a very public relationship even when we were together. That was actually one of the, the incongruences that we had is because he's a very private person. And so I know that was a challenge for him. I feel like I've done a really good job of learning how to phrase what I'm saying so that I am talking about my experience, but it's in such a way that it's not disparaging to the other person. And so I've never really had someone come back to me and like read it and go, that's not how I remember it. Or you told that wrong. I also feel like because I don't, so I, I tell people that two emotions that I don't experience a lot of is embarrassment and shame. So I just, for some strange reason, my emotional human index just does not have a lot of those emotions. And one of the things that makes that a gift for me in my writing is I'm not afraid to put myself on blast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is so impressive. Just also that you're able to be like, wait, that wasn't very good, that thing that I did. And I'm able to admit that and then put it out into the world so that other people can learn from that mistake. I I find that to be really impressive that you're able to do that so well. Right.
0: And so I feel that you know, even if some people that, you know, I've interacted with have read some of the stuff, they see me also laying myself out and it doesn't come off like I'm just like pointing the finger at all these people that I'm with and all these terrible ways that they failed me and I was just a sink. They're like, no, you know, I'm putting myself out there too. So I've never really had anyone come back to me and say, you know, I really didn't like that you uh, uh, did that. Um, um, Some things I will check in with my current partners and be like, hey, I'd like to talk about this thing that we went through. Or I'm letting you know that, you know, this this uh, situation that we had, I'm going to bring up. If it's something too sensitive or something that they absolutely have the right to say, I really, I don't want you to create content from that. And I'm like, okay, cool, no problem. I tend to want to create content from the more positive things, you know, um, that I can mm-hmm. say about my partner. So I choose those more often than I choose the negative stuff. Um, uh, and so, yeah, and it really is just, a, you know, like I said, being honest. I also am okay with, you know, someone coming back and going, well, I remember that differently. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, that's, that's the thing with relationships. Sometimes, you know, it's about perspective. I would say that there's, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, 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 and right. And so, you know, the way you remember something going down may not be the way I remember something going down, but I think I do a really good job of fairly telling the story so that people, you know, that I interact with don't feel as if I'm just kind of, like I said, disparaging them in my work.
2: We got another interesting question from one of our listeners, and they asked, how is monogamy and the colonization of spirituality interconnected? I think
0: that the colonization of spirituality demonized a lot of our indigenous practices, non-monogamy being one of them, and it created this like system of morality. And monogamy became the system mm-hmm. of morality of the day. And anything that was reminiscent of indigenous practice was deemed as demonic, was deemed as not of God, and uh, was deemed as something that we needed to get rid of. And so, uh, you know, our indigenous cultures, they were non-monogamous. We lived in, in you know, communal environments. Uh, and, you know, monogamy was not the the order of the day in our indigenous practices. And so when colonization came in, we also got, you know, morality and the morality was to move away from anything that was reminiscent of, of our indigenous practices and non-monogamy being one of those things. And so I think that the colonization of spirituality giving us this kind of, you know, morality of one, you know, monogamy, you know, this morality of heterosexuality, this morality of cis-normativity, all of that stuff is, is you know, from colonization uh, because our indigenous cultures were multifaceted and had multiple ways of existence and multiple ways of identifying. And uh, that was deemed as, as savage, you know, that was deemed as, like I said, demonic and not of God. And those things were taken away from us. We were literally, you know, told that we couldn't practice those things. We had to move away from those things. And so that's why, uh, you know, to me, monogamy or the, the concept of monogamy, or the concept of monogamy, I'll say as it's practiced today, because I think so much of the, what we hear in polyamory, is monogamy is wrong? It's rooted in you know capitalism, and and yes, that is true. But it, we, I think, we have to separate the system of monogamy as it functions in our society today, to the identity of monogamy, which is very personal. Because you know the goal mm. is not to move ourselves to a space to where the entirety of society is now non-monogamous and there's no space for monogamy. Because even if we you know did a total cultural reset and made it so that non-monogamy was the order of the day, there would still be humans that were not interested in it because humans are not a monolith. You know, we're not a monolith of desires. And so to me, it's important that we differentiate the system of monogamy as it functions today, as opposed to the identity of monogamy, people that just really decide that, you know, I just am only interested in having a relationship, sexual or romantic, with one person. And so I feel like the system that was imposed upon us with monogamy was one that was, you know, co- connected to colonization and white supremacy. And like I said, heteronormativity, cisnormativity, you know, capitalism, all of these things, patriarchy. But, you know, it, it's a system. Uh, and that part, yes, you know, we need to critically examine. But the identity, the monogamous identity is one that any human... You know can can feel is is right for them and i think that it's important that we 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 name that so that you know monogamous people aren't feeling like hey i I really am genuinely monogamous and that's what i want to do and my response to that is okay uh but go into that consciously Mm -hmm. you know how much of that is really who you are and how much of that is this programming you know that we've all been kind of you know born into in this monogamous society, so I always encourage monogamous people. Like, okay, you're monogamous. That's great, wonderful. But like, still, you still need to unpack that because I guarantee you, there's a bunch of stuff in there that even if you can identify that you're on monogamous, it's still not reflective of how you really think and feel about relationship.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's it's so interesting too to think about it from the programming point of view. But also, even if you were able to move beyond that, there's still just like the reality of how much the system favors this one way of being. Mm. Because I know that, uh, like, for example, I had a partner who, when she was ending our relationship, and this was quite a while back, uh, you know, it was very matter of fact, very amicable and everything. But her reasoning was not because she felt like she was monogamous, but just because she wanted to have kids and is like, it's going to be easier to do. And I'm going to have an easier time finding someone to do that with if I decide to do that in a monogamous way. And so I felt like, I guess I admire that she was able to approach that from that very eyes open kind of, yes, I'm making this decision because of these reasons. And also it really sucks that we're in a society where she had to make that decision for those reasons and not actually because it was something that spoke to her or was true to her.
0: I mean, I've had that conversation with myself from the desire to get married again. You know, I do eventually want to get married again. I hope that that happens for Mm. me. I did wonder. sometimes, Yeah, sometimes Mm. I can feel like, am I even going to find that in the non-monogamous community? Because so many people that are non-monogamous are very anti-marriage. They're anti-normative ways of relating, and that's fine. Mm. There's no problem with that. But it does sometimes result in me feeling like, Am I really going to find someone that desires marriage and that wants to be married? And, you know, will it come down to a choice of choosing to return to, you know, monogamy so that I can have this experience of having a spouse again or continuing to remain non-monogamous and just kind of hope, you know, that I come across someone who wants to pair in that more normative, you know, kind of framework? And obviously I'm going to choose option two because there's just no way that I, I would go back to monogamous It's not interesting to me. But I can't <laughs> say that I haven't thought about it. And I actually dated someone uh, last year hmm. who uh, was monogamous. It was my first time dating a monogamous person since being non-monogamous. But we just fell for each other randomly out of the blue. And it was a struggle. And I had moments where I was like, you know, Vita, you know, you really could just kind of go back to monogamy. This dude wants to marry you. And uh, you could have this experience again, but, you know, I made a choice to to not do that. I have heard from friends
2: who struggle with similar questions of, well, I really like this person. Maybe it would just be easier. And it, it is, I think, always that question of, should I go the easier route? Because it is society just constantly telling us this is the way that we should be. And this is the thing that we should do. And is that ultimately just going to be easier for our life versus what is really the true and best thing for
0: me as an individual? I see is you trade one ease for, you know, a different one so that it's easier in some ways, you know, life will be easier for you. You'll have an easier time of it because of the the setup of our society. But to me, the hard part is the like condensing myself in a way um, that isn't reflective of who I actually am. And that just, to me, that part is actually too uncomfortable. The other stuff, you know, the external stuff I can deal with, you know, I can figure that out, but the internal struggle of like not being who I know I want to be and like having to truncate myself, you know, to kind of fit in this box, that, that actually is the harder struggle for me. And so that to me is just, you, you trade one ease for another, you trade one difficulty or one hardship for another, um, and that's just not a hardship that I want personally. So I would just rather be myself <laughs> personally.
1: Yeah, that is such a great thing to bring up, though, that it's about really weighing what is, what is right for me. You know, it's not like, oh, if I decide to do the thing that's easy or that's more supported, it's not like oh, I've failed and I'm going to be doomed to unhappiness. That might not be true. That might actually be the lesser of the two challenges or the better of the two easy ways to go about it. But just just to acknowledge that there's a choice to be made there. Right, that there's there's things to weigh up on both sides of it,
0: and I think we tend to look at things and uh, these choices that we make as like like they're set in stone. And that's another thing that I try to remind myself of is the choice that I make today. It may set some things in motion that are kind of challenging to redirect as you know the ball gets rolling. But like no choice is set in stone. I can change my mind. I can make a different decision. Mm-hmm. And I feel like remembering that is really, really, really important because so many people, they're like, if I make this choice, I'm locked into this thing. And now if it's a mistake, you know, there's no redirection. And I'm like, no, as long as you wake up, you know, you have an option to to choose different. And so like kind of remembering that as we're moving through our relationship spaces is, you know, how you feel today may not be how you feel two days from now or three days from now or two weeks from now or two years from now. And when you change your mind or when you decide something that doesn't work for you, you can make a different choice. So
1: speaking of that, we actually have one last
0: question from our
1: listeners for you. And uh, I'm just going to read this whole question. I feel like you've already hinted at the answer a little bit here, but I'd love to hear it. So this is, um, she has had such a ride in her journey and I followed her from the start. My question would be, did she see her polyam journey in the start going in the direction it is today? What's been the biggest surprise as she continued down this journey? And has she ever wished she wasn't polyamorous and could close Pandora's box and undo it all?
0: Ooh, this is really good. So no, <laughs> I did not see myself where I am today. I thought my husband and I, I thought we were one of the ones that we were going to make it, you know? Mm. I really, really did. And so I did not see me being at the place where now I'm divorced. I'm, you know, single like 40 I did not see that coming and I even asked him like knowing that this was the outcome would he go back and change it so that we didn't do this. But I also think too that that makes it feel as if polyamory was the reason you know that we broke up and that if we didn't you know become polyamorous we might still be together and I always tell people that I don't know if there's some reality where we didn't become you know polyamorous and we broke up five years sooner like I don't know that. And so what I will say is no I did not see myself here would I do it all again though? No. Yeah, yeah, I would. And not because mm. of my, not because I wanted my marriage to end, you know, that's still saddening to me, but man, the person that I've become as a result of making this choice, I would not trade that human being for anybody, honestly. And so, um, and while I don't, I'm not one of those people that says, polyamory is the only way for you to evolve. You know, like, I feel like you can absolutely <laughs> stay non-monogamous <laughs> And still move through your traumas and healing and all of those things. You know, we don't, we, you know, the polyamorous community doesn't have a lockdown on healing and growth and evolvement. We really don't. I know we like to think so. Okay. But I'm going to let y'all you know right now you don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Okay. We absolutely yeah. don't. But for me, uh, you know, this was the journey that brought me to the person that I am today, who's much more self aware, who is much more self contained, who is much more in possession of myself as a human being. And that is invaluable. So even if I never got another polyamorous partner or had another polyamorous relationship, you know, I still would not trade that at, at all. And I also love, and another thing that I would not trade, and this is actually, I'm actually getting emotional as I'm talking about it. I can feel it kind of welling up in my chest, is it's allowed me to be such a better human to the people that I love. And that to me is so much more important. And I'm not just talking about my partners. I'm talking about my friends. I'm talking about my kids. I'm talking about people I meet on the street. It really has helped me to show up in in a a way to the people in my life that I care about that I'm much, much, much more proud of and much more happy with than I, I, I was before I did this because it helped me to learn how to like unpack entitlement, how to unpack control and really like embrace and celebrate and support the freeness of the people in my lives, the autonomy of the people in my lives, the, the personhood of the people in my lives. Um, and I would not trade that either uh, for anything. And so no, I, yeah, I would absolutely do this again.
2: Wow. Thank you again so much for this amazing talk. You provided us with such an excellent episode again, and we definitely have to do this at least in another three years, if not sooner, and hopefully with <laughs> Dedeker as well. Before we go, where can people
0: find more of you, your work, and of course your new book? So my book is available, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, bookshop.org, um, check your local bookstore. And if they don't have it, tell them to get it. Okay. <laughs> a sister up. But yeah, so uh, that's where the book can be found. Um, I can be found on Instagram at Labida loca 34 also on Facebook at loca Sawyers. Um And that's pretty much where I am all the time. So I'm pretty easily accessible. So I, th- I want to thank everyone for the support and for following, for listening, for sharing your stories and sharing your highs and lows and your vulnerability with me. That really is what makes it all worthwhile. And then I want to thank you all for having me on the show again, because I'm telling you, I love talking to y'all. I really do. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I was very, very hyped for this. Yeah, the feeling's
1: mutual.
2: Yes, Absolutely. So for everyone out there, we have a question that'll be on our Instagram stories this week, which is, what are some of the benefits of non-monogamy besides the opportunity to date multiple people? So the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to multiamory.com slash join. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenework and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.